Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Konga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you? I'm alright, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm rested after a long week slash weekend. Oh, I'm so jealous. I've not done my rest yet. Oh my goodness. It had to be done. I actually finished off some edits for another project on the Sunday. But before that, a friend of mine cooked an amazing meal for Diwali. Oh, nice. Festival of Light. Yeah, over in Prenzlauerberg. Ah. Yeah, over in the sort of west of Berlin. And it was unbelievable. This meal was unbelievable. Prenzlauerberg in the west of Berlin? Sorry, I mean, um, Charlottenburg. Charlottenburg. Cool. I know I'm getting get old. Your, sorry. Get your sorry. geography right. <laughs> We've had a week. We have uh, fun interviews, uh, trips to London. Yeah. yeah, got to meet my niece on the weekend for the first time. How old is she? She's uh, she's four weeks. Oh, yeah. My mum took a picture, and I was going to post it. Ah, but what's the what's the? Uh, it looks like such a thirst trap. Just holding a really cute baby. You only live once. Post it. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> you it's have too... to do it. You have to do it. It's out there. The truth is out there. No. People be so curious now. They'll be like, oh, Ryan, just, it's just a niece pic. Just take my word for it. She's very, very cute. She's think, very cute. I think she's very it. small. She's so small. I think you should post it. And so does the Stadio community. I'm going to move on <laughs> because we've got some, th- some th- well, I can't even talk. We've got some thirsty stuff coming up. We do actually. We did two interviews last week. We did indeed. One of which people will probably know about because we posted about it. Yeah. So we got to interview Ian Wright at the Emirates Stadium before Arsenal's game against Victoria yep. on Thursday on the art of finishing. Yes, which was a uh, great fun. That was great, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we basically talked to him for about an hour, actually, just yeah. over an hour, uh, about how he got the ball in the net. Basically. All the techni- yeah, and it was so- great anecdotes, great stories. Um, and then we ate pie and mash with him. We did indeed pie and mash, then we watched the game. Yeah, with you know just uh, that last minute euphoria, Pepe's free kicks, both of which he called. He did, yeah. A lot of people commenting on you jumping up and down, celebrating an Arsenal winner. Yeah, absolutely. And why not? Caught on camera. And why not? Because I love football and I love great goal scorers. And actually, I really happy for Pepe. I've always been rooting for Pepe. Like he was so good um, in that sort of breakout game against PSG, the five-one last season. An outstanding player who really just requires the right canvas and. Arsenal, you know, a club in. We'll get onto that. Yeah, a a team in transition, and it's so hard to really excel in that kind of environment. And it's no accident that he did so from set pieces, which, you know, (laughs) a a phase of the game which he could have firm under his control, which didn't rely on supply or or service. And actually, one of the things that um, that Ian Ian said in the interview was, no matter how good you are, service is essential. Quality of service, and and Pepe has struggled from that. Yeah, definitely. The other one that we haven't posted about yet. So this will be the, the can announcement. We talk, can we talk about that? Nah, let's... Yeah, we, we should do. Mention it now? Yeah. Okay then. Well, why not? We interviewed Ian Wright on the Thursday, but on the Wednesday, we actually interviewed Gary Lineker. Yes, yes, indeed. On The Art of Finishing. Yeah, although that was a little bit more broad, wasn't it? We spoke about his kind of career as a striker, but then we also touched on Barcelona, Bobby Robson, Johan Cruyff. And Messi. Messi. The way he talks about yeah. Messi is something else. Yeah. So we're going to put them up soon enough well, the right one will come up in a bit maybe a bit later yeah we'll roll out the Lineker one first I think I think so yeah maybe next week sometime hey why not sounds good and then the Ian Wright one will be up in a few weeks yeah sounds good but um, sorry my voice is a bit tired no no it's all good and I hope you enjoy them as much as we enjoyed doing them uh, both of them were incredibly generous with their time and with their, their thoughts, actually, I felt like in both cases, they were just so open about what they enjoyed most about the game, the challenges they felt, 
And I think that what I was trying to sort of do almost when we spoke to them, I'm sure you were the same as well, was really just... I was just trying to keep chill. <laughs> yeah, that was a challenge for me, but... <laughs> I was very, very nervous. And also because we, this is a little bit of a letting people behind the curtain, but we were, we were recording it on an audio configuration that we don't usually do. So I was sweating quite a lot about that. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it worked. It was fine. As soon as we recorded it, I basically just sent myself the files on like we transfer <laughs> just in case anything went wrong. I was That's terrified. So Anyway, sorry. I no, it's all it good. Then. No, it's all good. Go for it. Go for it. No, no, I'm done. <laughs> um, so since you're done, why don't we get on to some of the action? Where are we going to start? Oh, I think we have to start with Arsenal. Do you? Because yes. I was going to quickly mention Southampton Leicester. Okay, why not? We can get there. We can go there. Although it seems like it was ages ago because it was Friday. It was. Though. It feels like it was an eternity. So for those who've been visiting the planet Vulcan and unaware of <laughs> goings on on Earth, Southampton were eviscerated 9-0 by Leicester, Brennan Rodgers Leicester, at home. Ugh. And poor Southampton, because every one of their weaknesses aligned perfectly with Leicester's strengths. The directness, the willingness of Leicester to play on the front foot, brutal, really, really brutal. And Brennan Rodgers, you know, he is a fine coach and has, think, I think, been a victim of his own, his own image a lot of the time. Mm. But this is a, a very fine manager who but for a better defence and one or two key performances would have been a Premier League champion. Yeah. It's and kind of felt, it might be a little bit of a theme of the podcast, but it felt a, very much like a perfect storm. Yes. I think because you're right, everything came together at the worst possible time. Hasn't Hitler was a fine coach. Mm. But the problem with Leicester is they, how do I say this? They are a team... They really know how to feast. They're like hyenas, really. And I don't say that in a kind of a way of a, to, to denigrate my, what I mean is that, actually well, the nickname is the Foxes, so they, don't, they won't find that too harsh. If they sense any kind of weakness, they will attack with such a ferocity and such a precision. And it really, I mean, the variety of the goals they scored, the beauty, the efficiency of the finishing. Leicester's league championship win is remarkable. What I think could end up being as remarkable if this is sustained for the next two seasons, is for them to retain a position in the top six. And now, given the transition of so many teams, it's very plausible that Leicester could end up top six. Could, they could end up top four. They really. Really, they, really, they really could. No, they really could. And they would deserve to. They would, well, you, you deserve to in the league if you do that, frankly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I texted my good friend Rob, Southampton Rob. Southampton Rob. For some thoughts. Oh, no. Would you like to hear Rob's thoughts? Please do. His thoughts are always welcome. Well, basically, the long and the short of it was, he loves Ralph. Yeah. But he reckons that Hasenhutl has massively underestimated the problems with the Southampton defence. He doesn't know his preferred formation yet and doesn't vary the team enough. But also lots of just players performing very subpar. And I think that's... But I mean, it was quite widely reported that he wasn't backed that well in the summer. He didn't get a massively high quality crop of players through. I think a manager like Hasenhutl, it's so... Def it's... This could probably be applied to a lot of managers, but I think with coaches like Hasenhutl, it's so dependent on the personnel. They have to be able to have the skill set that you need to play Hasenhutl like, teams. Van Hall was like that. It's like Klopp's teams. Yeah, of course. You know, even Pep is like that. Yeah. I mean, look look at the when he got there and the fullbacks couldn't play as he wanted, couldn't play inside that Straight out. Straight out, new Gone. fullbacks. Yeah. And it was, it was a disaster mm. because it requires a level of tactical flexibility and sophistication that is beyond most players. And that's not a judgment on the players that can't adapt. It's just that, you know, swapping from a, th a four to a three at the back and then again, that is, 
is extremely difficult. We've seen very good players struggle with that configuration. We saw Marcos Alonso struggle with that mm. at Chelsea, you know, who looks superhuman at wing back. Then he goes to a, a conventional defensive position and then just looks adrift. Yeah. You know, so it's, I have sympathy with those players. And Southampton have now conceded 25 goals. I mean, obviously nine of those in one game, but they've only scored nine. They're not scoring enough goals either. I think the sending off of Ryan Bertrand definitely aided to that. Of course. But they just, they just didn't look like they were even there, really, at all. You'd hope that this is obviously a massive wake-up call to some. And I really hope it doesn't lead to Hasenhutl losing his job because he is such a good coach and I do think he can still do a really good job at Southampton. Right. I would normally say that a manager in that position would have to go, but it's Hasenhutl and you're very lucky to get a coach that good. Exactly. And I, ju- I just think this is a case... And do you know what I love, actually, about what he did? He came out and took responsibility. Yeah, straight away. I love that. And that, that to me was like, that's so that's, big. That's big yeah. These things are different because you come out there, you'd have been done 9-0 and it's a brutal result. And to come out, most managers, we won't name names in the Premier League, <laughs> there were a lot of managers very, very good higher up the table at spreading blame everywhere but themselves. Mm. And to take that responsibility must have been very heartening for the players because, you know, Bertrand sending off was, it was a needless tackle, maybe slightly harsh, I don't know, early in the game. But to take responsibility, not come out and go, oh my goodness, if my players had heeded instructions, if they'd been disciplined, you know, with all those kind of like slights that certain managers use. Yeah. He didn't do any of that. No. And I think that, I'm not a Southampton fan, so it's easy for me to say this, but he is a very special coach and it, they just don't come along that often. No, I agree. Yeah. But also, just such a wild result. Sometimes you can draw the wrong conclusions from a certain result. Yeah, definitely. Does that make sense? I, think, I do think Southampton have been poor though this season and they have had an absolute hiding coming I don't think anyone would have expected it to be that huge then again Leicester have handed out hidings you know that time when I think Guardiola's first season when Leicester just went to town and then it was 4-2 and that was an absolute battery I think it was even 4 maybe 4-1 at one point Mm. there's certain teams or like when Everton did um, City 4-0 that time I think it was and again Everton's strengths completely aligned with City's weaknesses and you wouldn't say that Guardiola had to go after a 4-0 it sounds slightly facile to say that but I just think most ca- most coaches, I would say, they should go, but I just think Arsenal deserves a bit more patience. I agree. Moving on. I think it has to be Arsenal at this point. <sighs> we have to talk Arsenal. I'm sorry, I know it's your team, but... Yeah. Well, Arsenal squandered a two-goal lead at home to draw two all with Crystal Palace, as everyone's probably seen. Do you know what gets me with Arsenal? Should have won the game, actually. It's the lack of match control. This, oh, is, totally. the thing, this is the damning thing about Arsenal. Even when they were 2 up, the way that Arsenal score goals, you look at the last, and this sounds maybe a bit cruel thing to say, the last four goals Arsenal have scored, what were they? All set pieces. And you contrast that with Leicester, and the goals are constructed. There's a reassuring type of goal that a team scores, and a reassuring type of goal is the City goal, where, you know, the ball's squared, crossed, everyone knows everything. Yeah. Or you could say, I mean, if you look at the Spurs goal, for example, against Liverpool, to me, that was almost like a opportunistic broken field run. How often are you going to beat two midfielders in Liverpool midfield and then, then lay it off, mm. shot off the bar and then Kane scores. And I think Pochettino knew that that goal was maybe a kind of an outlier, which is why they shut up shop afterwards because I think he realised we can't really break down Liverpool. We're not really good enough to go toe-to-toe like we did for that goal. They nearly went 2-0 up as well with that one where Son hit the bar. Right, absolutely. But again, that was very opportunistic. I th- yeah, exactly. I think it was very much Spurs, very much smash and grab. What concerns me about Arsenal is I think they have the pieces to play that football. I think they have the pieces for match control. You know, they, they've got the players, but I, you know, and I've supported Emery before. 
I don't think he's the guy. I don't think he is. I don't think we've seen enough of the Emery that won those Europa Leagues at Sevilla. For me, that was the credit in the bank. The fact that he could do that with a team and impose his will. I don't think he can impose his will on teams which are expected to play on the front foot. If you contrast Tuchel at PSG with what he did at PSG, you look at PSG, what he's building now, Tuchel, it's a machine. And they're going to do a lot of damage in the Champions League if they build up momentum. Whereas Emery, if you put him in charge of that PSG team now, you don't see that quality of football. Yeah, I think what happened on the weekend, but it was another perfect storm, but also a result of a lot of factors that have built up this season. Right. You know, Arsenal had a really, really positive summer transfer window. Extremely, yeah. And we said on the first, I think the first podcast, that it was actually good to see Arsenal look exciting. Right. Because they did look quite exciting. Or the yeah. second podcast. I think it was after the, the, the Burnley home game. Since then, I think I've enjoyed three games this season of Arsenal's. Enjoy is, is strong, but I mean, maybe felt satisfied from a game, let's say. It's the North London derby. It was the Forest Carabao Cup game. And it was the Standard Liège Europa League game. And in those games, you know, Arsenal scored, Arsenal created chances. And I think that's a major, major problem of what's going on at Arsenal this season. Is that they're just not creating any chances at all. From a football point of view, the result isn't really a surprise to Palace, I don't think. No. Palace are a good football team. They know? are. They are. They're really good. They're well coached. And they'll expose you. And that's the difference between Arsenal and a number of the teams that Arsenal have played this season, is that Arsenal just don't look well coached at all. Do you know what I would do with Arsenal? <sighs> this guy has to go. And I actually I've, agree. Actually. Do you know I say that? Not just because I say it, because I watch mm. them now and again. Because when you see people like Andrew Mangan saying that for Block, people mm. who are really reserved and temperate and James McNicholas, when they are saying it, and these are people who are the most sort of, they reserve the judgment so much, you know, that I think the public opinion has gone against. And I just think there's just too much done. And frankly as well, the problems Arsenal have, and here's the key thing, they're solvable because the wealth of talent in the Arsenal squad it speaks so well, and this is a credit to Arsenal. The quality of the recruitment is so good that you can get rid of Emery and get a new manager in and really improve. You're telling me that Brendan Rodgers couldn't be amazing in, front, in charge of that team? Or Allegri, for example? Or actually, Hasenhutl? Like, really, like, any, yeah. they could, he could, he could. And that, this is the beauty of the situation Arsenal right now. It is solvable. You could change that overnight and there's no shame in that. And Chelsea are unashamed to change manager if things aren't working out. And after a ropey beginnings of the season, they're now looking really strong, Chelsea. I'm very smug about this because I did a guest appearance on the Guardian Football Weekly last week. You and did? And I was being asked about Frank Lampard and I just said, brilliant job. From what I can see, I love what he's done with that team. The fluidity of the play, the transitions, the relationships between players is so good. Mason Mount is basically kind of like... Lampard protege, you can see these players scoring goals in his style. Mm. You can see them link in his style. I saw it working. And there's any number of managers, I would say you could name 10 managers at different clubs that could come in and do a better job than Emery's doing off the top of your head. In terms of managers out of jobs, we've talked about Allegri before. Yeah, I mean, the problem that I have with stuff like this is that Allegri isn't going to make Arsenal better to watch. If you're getting results, people will forgive the performances a little right. bit more because at least there's a plan. It's like being an Atleti fan. I mean, it's not a Marvel movie, is it, watching Atleti? Uh, maybe it's uh, Age of Ultron, but sorry. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's a, you know, I don't know. But yeah, I think the problem for, that Arsenal are having is that, you know, Aubameyang, I think, had the least touches of any player on the pitch at the weekend. You know, you're starving one of the best strikers in world football of service when you have Arsenal's most creative player frozen out. And again, there is no better way 
for an Arsenal player to have their stock dramatically increased than being out of the side. Right, you know, exactly. They become a sort of mythical hero. Yeah, I, I chatted to Tayo on the phone earlier, Tayo Papula, about because he was at the game on the weekend. I wanted to give him a shout because where they sit would have been just where Jacka walked off. So I wanted to see what it was like being in there. And he said that as well. You know, he's like, Theo Walcott's best season was that year he was out. His value massively increased. And you've seen it with Rob Holding and you've seen it with other players. This is where I think it gets really, really messy for Emery and for Arsenal is that if he was winning every week, no one would be talking about the Ozil situation. Arsenal are just simply not good enough to leave one of the world's premier playmakers of the last 10 years on the bench. They're not good enough. Yeah, the they're just not no there's almost to be honest there's almost no squad in Europe good enough to do that Madrid couldn't if Madrid left Urzla out of the squad in their current state people would be like now nah, you're on one I mean you know Meza Urzel isn't the player that he was no doubt he's still Meza Urzel and he'll be surrounded by extreme speed I always think that when players are asked about the best players they play with that's a really good gauge and pretty much everyone who's played with him says it's him and yeah, maybe he isn't the same player, but he's not washed. He's Ozil. But I think all of this then leads to the Jacker situation. Right. So for those who haven't seen it, Granit Jacker was substituted. And the substitution in isolation was a fair one. It was a, you know, taking off a more holding midfielder for an attacking option. And there were a few ironic cheers went up. It was two all at this point. So Arsenal were chasing the point and he slowly walks off and then the boos start coming. Everyone's seen his reaction by now. Everyone's seen it. But this is this is bad. This is so bad. This is part of a wider thing. Before we get into that, I think his reaction was pretty poor. Yeah. He probably should have just come off a little bit quicker and not said anything. Part of me just thought, good for you though. Well, this is the thing. This wasn't just a reaction to what happened uh, on the weekend. It's months of this. There was a really great Amy Lawrence piece on The Athletic that I'd yeah. recommend everyone going to read. And it kind of touches on something that we've had conversations about before, about, you know, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes with footballers, which is why I'm very, very wary to go after footballers or say, you know, ah, oh, so-and-so shit. Nah, this guy's, nah, he's done. Like, nah, 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 whatever, you know. You don't know what's going on. You're right behind closed doors. And at the same time, we've all felt frustration with players who perform below their level. But look at Dejan Lovren. Here's a good example. There's someone who deleted his Instagram, I think at one point, because he was getting so much abuse. And there is this kind of idea, I think, that people like that are punching bags. And I wonder how many players saw Chaka's reaction and just thought quietly, you know, Got good him. for you. I'm glad someone said something. There seems to be a bit of an argument here, whether you're like team Chaka or team kind of like fan. And I don't yeah. think it's, it's not that crystal. I like that you've gone and said you've rejected that sort of, it's one or the other. On a human level like yourself, I feel a very great sympathy because who knows how they react in that situation. I just think it was as you say, that in isolation was he should have gone off quicker. I just wonder though, because look, look at how much he's taken. You look at the Amy Lawrence piece and she says, he's widely acknowledged to be the person that made the most effort. He loves that. He loves the responsibility of being captain and he loves being there and he loves playing for the club. And to work so hard and, you know, to fall below your own standards and not be the player you were at Gladbach, because it's funny, look at Gladbach now. He's clearly a player that came from a proud footballing tradition. He can play football. He's a good footballer. He's a very good player. You see him at the World Cup. He was excellent in his own setting. And when he's been in the right setting, he's thrived. And he's become a lightning rod for resentment. And I just wonder, like, how many Instagram messages has he seen? How many DMs? How well, many tweets? he closed comments, apparently, because it was... And this is what, this is what yeah. I mean. This is like, you know, Aaron Ramsey did it once. Aaron Ramsey posted an Instagram 
picture. It was a really famous one, just saying Happy St. David's Day or something like that. And the whole thing was just abuse about his performance or people saying that he's he's terrible and my all this issue, kind of stuff. And this is my issue with booing is this. You really think that somebody that dreamed of being a footballer that comes to Arsenal is proud to play for the club. You know, he's not mailing it in like some players have done. We had the same with Marin Fellaini at Manchester United. Fellaini had his issues and Fellaini, I think, got booed a few times. Fellaini, but the reason I never got involved in that is because he was trying. Even if he hadn't been trying, or there's another issue there. Fellaini, it was not his fault he was being picked every week, despite being you know, far below par. It wasn't his fault. And that was something I had to understand. And this, this refusal to critique structures and people above who are making decisions and focus on the players, I think is kind of, it's kind of cowardly, actually. He's become almost like Fellaini was seen as like Moyes' guy yeah. right and he never shook that at Manchester United he was like symptomatic of the Moyes era right even when Moyes was long gone uh, Xhaka is now becoming that equivalent but for Emery but it's not his fault that he's playing every week not at all I think how fickle fans are in a funny kind of way I think if you got a new manager and Xhaka was dropped for like two months and came back in weirdly enough I think it might be I fine, be fine. Yeah. I think so because if you look at how Fellaini was held in contempt for a long time but then people look back and were like, actually, there are particular games and he contributed. And because he was phased out of the squad, by the time he left, there was so much goodwill behind it. Genuine goodwill, not like, oh, good riddance. Genuine, you know what? You came here, your position was unfair. You were out of your depth sometimes for tactical reasons, strategic reasons. Good luck. And genuinely, Fellaini left with goodwill mm-hmm. and without a door slammed behind him. And I think Chaka. I think he can find a way back, but I don't think that Emery finds a way back because I think a lot of that, I think someone made a very good point about this being misdirection, misdirected mm. rage. And I think fans deep down understanding that that rage is misdirected. Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of questions about this. Should we get into those now? or after Yeah, that? I mean, yeah. basically, there are a few. Um, one from uh, Mikolas... Yankaitis, I hope I've pronounced that okay. Uh, do you recall any worse moments in Arsenal history than the Jacker moment? Um, oh God, Bayern. Short, Bayern, of course. Well, I mean, I think in terms of uh, stuff about players, I think the Abue one was worse. Abue coming off and crying. I think that was probably worse. But then Chaka's reaction where it was he was kind of giving some back, I've not seen, I, I can't remember that right. happening, especially from the captain. Uh, one from Justin Salhani, is this level of vitriol specific to Arsenal or is this a trend of modern fan culture? And where do you both fall on Jacker's reaction? So we've kind of covered that. I've seen a lot, including myself, say it's understandable considering the context, but from the club standpoint, they cannot, uh, they can't not penalise him. And that's the thing. It's, it's, they have to penalise him. It's kind of two wrongs and neither of them make a right yep. in this situation. Yep. Even though Jacker's reaction was wrong, I think I feel more sympathy for him than I do for the fans. Because personally, I've never ever booed a player off. Yeah. In a substitution. But then, I've never seen that scenario when you're chasing a game and a player kind of really slowly comes off. Oh no, I have seen it though, because I think players have done that before. But again, the perfect storm analogy. Timing, game situation, the choice of player. That player again. The unhappiness with the manager. Yeah. Then it spreads into that well-known online... And I don't uh, think that's outlet. and that's not right. that's not unique to Arsenal. No, that's it's not. not. No. But then, if someone goes on one of those things and kind of has a conversation like we have, where it's been quite long, yeah, and a little bit 
I suppose, kind of boring in a way, where we've we've said, we understand this, we don't think this, but we think this, but it ain't just a cut and dry thing. Yeah, these aren't the podcasts that go viral. Like this good, this podcast goodness. isn't going to get the numbers. Yeah, and you don't want, and those, frankly, I don't want those numbers. Yeah, yeah but yeah. then, you know, to go on one of those things after someone sent me a clip and basically just diss the guy to the camera, like, what are you trying to achieve there? Is this where we're really at? Is this where we're really at in football, where we... You're frothing into a rage. That's what it is. And that's the problem. People are suffering for something you don't even yourself believe in. You yourself, you're not that angry. Like, it's a performance. Because you can't... If it was really that anger, then it would be more sparing. But the fact that you're always at intensity level. I mean, are you practicing pre-match? Are you warming up for your rage? Like they warm up for games? You know what I mean? Like, and you created the kind of like sort of, there's a parallel industry. I don't know. Again, I'm like an old man shouting at a cloud, but the parallel industry of the, you know, the rage industry of football, of going on and just being, rah, rah, this player's awful. Okay, look, it's all fun ranting now and again, but it has consequences, right? And every now and again, when players lose it, we're reminded of the consequences when I write about footballers, I critique them. There are tweets that I don't send. There's articles and sentences I don't write because actually I think a player's family member could read that or a player could read that. Or Do you know what I mean? You never quite know. There's one piece I wrote in particular about Gareth Barry and I've never felt so guilty in my life. It was critiquing him. They'd won the league. with I'm embarrassed even to talk about it. It was a small thing, but I critiqued Gareth Barry and his speed of passing. And I was like, they would have picked up more points with a player that played the ball more quickly into feet of the attackers. And I felt really bad then because I thought what Gareth Barry did for City and really go like, oh, that's not fair though. He won a league with him. Like he did it. He delivered a league yeah, title. But this is different though. This is different. But, where, where the, like critiquing a player in that way is very different. But I want to like indict myself as well because I'm saying that branch is the same tree in the sense that if you're thinking consciously when you critique somebody that that person might one day see it. Like I've got to write a piece later on about a politician who I'm critiquing for something they said that was really out of order I felt. But I want to critique it in such a way that it's like, I'm not just here behind a laptop digging at you. I'm saying what you're doing is bad politically, bad for the country, right? That's different mindset to being like, I'm just going to go at like, somebody. Fuck you. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, going to yeah. go at someone who's got no feelings. Who's, you know, even when I talk about people whose politics I find dangerous to democracy and to society, I'm still like taking that person seriously. I'm still saying, I, I don't wish you dead. I just wish you weren't in that job. I don't wish ill on you. I just wish you weren't in that, you know. Mm. I think there's a, there's a, we have to remember that these people are human. This is something that accumulates, I think, from years and years and years of basically fans just getting pushed around. Right, and that is absolutely accurate. This is where it becomes really murky. Right. Because there is no one reason why all of this is happening and there are no there is no one party that is fully to blame. Right, it's, yeah. It's, Sorry to sound like a massive fence-sitting cliche, but it's super, super nuanced and it's super, super multi-layered. But I'm a little bit worried about where it's going to end. I do sometimes kind of think that with football and especially the modern day kind of fan culture, and I use that term very broadly because I don't really believe in one singular culture, fan culture. Using Arsenal as a case study in this scenario, you move to a new stadium after a massive period of success and you're given all these promises and you're charged astronomical amounts of money to go and watch your football team. That creates this almost, you know, I was chatting to Tayo about this and this is what I was saying. I wanted to get his specific take on the Jacker thing just to see what it was like, get in there. But um, one thing we were talking about was, 
you know, it's almost become a little bit gladiatorial and it's impress us. And that's what I find it's like at, at Arsenal. Well, you're right. This is a great, this is a great point, actually. These fans, right, are paying absurd amounts of money. You're right. And of course that creates, that should create entitlement because frankly, if you spent what, it's so hard to get Arsenal tickets, 80, 90 pounds. Yeah. I mean, depending on what game or where you sit. Yeah. Right, but yeah, they're but expensive. They're the most huge, expensive tickets in the, I think in the world. Outrageous maybe. expense, outrageous expense. So, you know, you're paying that every week and substandard football. I, I don't, and I don't pay that amount, my chunk of my salary and my earnings to watch a team. So I get the entitlement actually at a certain level. I get where it comes from. And I just, and I get also why it's misdirected because in a way, when in that moment, who do you attack? Out of empathy for the Arsenal fans, in the heat of the moment, to lose your, to lose, you know, sort of your normal behaviour or whatever, I get it because tickets in our lifetime have gone up from, I mean, they're just 10, 20 to like, yeah. and it's the same for concert fees. You go to watch your favourite rapper, like, you know, Kendrick Lamar played around the corner for me. I didn't go. Why? Because it's 70 quid. Yeah. And I love Kendrick, but come on, Kendrick. Yeah. I bought all your albums and EPs. Come on, man. Seven, come on. Yeah. Well, we had a question from Jazz Tahara where he said, is there any way back for entitled fan bases and how do you think it could be remedied? Is there anything to learn from other fan cultures? For example, Liverpool and Henderson, Arsenal and Jacker. So, this kind of alludes to the thing that I want to talk about. And we are running super long on this bit. But yeah, we are, yeah. I think it's kind of quite interesting. Yeah. And this, I'm not doing this because this is an Arsenal thing. I'm doing this because I think this is a really it's unique a situation in terms yeah. of a, you know, a big club, their captain, you know, this kind of thing doesn't happen every day. You know, we've talked about two things that are very rare, a 9-0 win in the Premier League yeah. and this kind of scenario. And I think the two are... Can we be really brutal, actually? No, actually, in the, let's, let me just flip and go and support the fans a bit more. Do you know what? Maybe we're in danger of learning the wrong lessons from this. That one of the lessons we're learning that I'm advocating is look more empathy for players. Actually, if we flip that and say, look how long it took for fans to start booing their players. If we think how long it took, right? This isn't that common a thing. To, we can blame Arsenal fan TV and media and we can to an extent. At the same time, these are match-going fans, right? And match-going fans are typically regarded as the more you know, the more reserved or temperate compared to like the online fan, mm. which I think is a slightly different animal. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's really match going fans that are making Arsenal fan TV go viral. I think that's almost like... It's usually fans of other clubs, actually. Right, right, right. So actually, if we sort of... Dialed, and this happens for all of the... Yeah. You know, right. remember the famous one with Andy Tate on... Manchester you know. United, right. Actually, let's have a conversation about the expense of tickets and how people are squeezed. I think I w- it's the whole thing, Musa. Right, right. I, it is, it is absolutely. And I, I think that I just want to address that a bit more, the expense of tickets, because if we're bringing the whole thing, we've talked about the empathy for the player, absolutely. Also though, like I went through Liverpool Street recently, right, in London, and I was there and I thought, the cost of living in London, of, you know, of tickets, the expense of that, it makes people who are normally very chilled and very calm. Like I went to the loo, it sounds like a silly example. I went to the loo on the way out of Paddington. I left my bag in my seat for like five minutes, came back out and the train was packed and my bag was now on top of the rack. And I was like, oh, I just left my bag. And the guy was like, it's gone now, it's taken. Like on a packed train, there's no room for politeness or kindness. And I'm like- It's like everyone, everyone's kind of like out to- Everyone out for themselves, it. it's feral. And I think it's making the expense of these things and the- when, when you see misdirected anger, I'm always interested in why anger gets misdirected. I'm like, this is a place you come for escapism, right? Affordable football was affordable escapism, not a generation ago. And now it is like going to the opera or the ballet. And 
this should be a time to democratise football. Can't we subsidise tickets? The amount of money that the Premier League clubs are generating through TV revenue, their right. ticket prices are borderline criminally high. And they can afford to bring those prices down. They can. Better atmosphere than the stadium because if you're making that much money from TV, you can actually subsidise the tickets and have an absolute. But you don't need wild. to subsidise anything. You just, just need to bring them down. Okay, right. You bring the prices down in the stadium because we know the revenues come from TV. Then everybody wins because then what do you have? You have an incredible atmosphere. Look, Evan raves about Boca Juniors River Plate. Evan raves about the atmosphere in Argentine League. You have that atmosphere transmitted to a worldwide audience. I mean, everyone wins. Fees like that attract a different demographic. When I first started going to the North Bank, it was like a tenner. Right. So therefore, that demographic paying that kind of money, there's a different level of expectation there. Yes. And if those expectations aren't being met, right. then the reactions will be different. And this also coincides with a period where in the Premier League, football clubs have become more separated from their fan bases. Yeah. So you have these two things where... There's no communication between organised fan groups in Premier League clubs on the whole. There might be examples. I know Palace have done some really good work. But say, for example, look at ultras groups in Germany. The Schalke main ultras groups came together and negotiated with the club about ticket prices and the ticket prices went down. Brilliant. So they're being listened to. Yeah. Yes, this is about Emery and Xhaka and Arsenal's performances and Arsenal's position and the football they're playing. I think it's also all of this stuff that's come before it. This thing that has been rolling and rolling and rolling for years now. The reason that fans maybe who go to games do vent through these kind of independent fan TV channels because it's the only place they're getting heard. Now, I don't agree with that kind of stuff. I don't watch it. I don't really like that vibe of quote-unquote entertainment. It's not really my thing. Mm. But I'm trying to look at it from right, a different perspective. perspective there. Yeah, yeah. And now some guy can wax lyrical about how, you know, Arsenal need to do X, Y, and Z on those things. Cool. I've got no problem with that. Mm. When you start telling players to fuck off to camera yeah. or do all this kind of stuff, what are you doing it for? Yeah. I'm talking myself in a massive circle here because I haven't had a lot of sleep. You should sleep, this you should sleep less often. This is great. This, this is has become more of a complex, detailed chat than I thought we were planning on doing. But beforehand. I'm glad. That's, that's why. That's why I keep coming back. That's why we get no bucks. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know, man. I think that it's just, do you know what? The bottom line of it, I think what I'm trying to say and what I've been trying to say for however fucking long we've been going yeah. is that it's just really sad, the situation. Yeah. It's sad from the fans. It's sad for the football club. It's sad for Xhaka. It's sad for Emery. It's just the whole thing. No one no one comes out of this looking remotely good. Apart from Apart H from Hector, Hector Bellerin. Bellerin, who, can I just say, if there is going to be a way forward, the beauty of what I think Bellerin reminded people of, a football club fundamentally is a family, right? And that tweet he came out with about how we don't move forward unless we're together is so powerful because I think it's that moment where everyone's like, whoa, this all went a bit far. I don't think anybody involved who, had a, who came to that situation with good faith wanted it to go that way. And the beauty of the way that he stepped in, after a thing like this happens, there's a vacuum, right? Mm -hmm. After any big moment, like any argument you've had with a family friend or a, a partner, there's always that vacuum, isn't there, where there's those crucial 24 to 40 hours after the, the big argument. And then it's who steps into that void. And the way that he just stepped in, I think has created a, a room for a conversation about where everyone's going. And that's why I was like, I saw that and I thought, you know what? 
they're going to be all right. I know that sounds a bit cheesy, but I saw that and thought clubs need something like that to step in. And that some cynical people have said, oh, like make him the captain. That's what he's angling for. No, I, no, I, I actually think he can make a brilliant captain. I think, yeah, I think he would. And I think actually that would be a great move to make. But whether that that becomes the case or not, I think that he has created a platform for a really productive conversation. Mm. And I wanted to just throw that in there. Yeah, to no, end, you're absolutely right. I mean, to be I, honest, there's, yeah. there's so much stuff that has gone into this kind of conversation. There was another thing that I wanted to mention, which was the Lucas Torreira pictures. You saw there a guy who was warming up, who was seeing his captain getting that treatment, and he's crying. I think just sometimes we need to stop and think, like, what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. This has to be maybe a little bit of a wake-up call that, Actions have consequences, even if you're not right in front of the person that you're making those actions towards. Absolutely right. Should we call this a wake-up call? <laughs> I need a wake-up call. Okay, then. Let's go to a break. Right, we're back from the break. I think I've got my head together now. <laughs> Wonderful. We've actually had a 24-hour gap in between. <laughs> so I, had have, I had to have a little cry. We've all been there. We've all been there. <laughs> a couple of fun questions to lighten the mood. Absolutely. Okay, one from at rat underscore Simons underscore on Twitter. What are the best bars slash other places in Berlin to watch football? <laughs> I... Mm. <laughs> Sorry, comrade. <laughs> well, can I put a shout in there? Penenka's good. Penenka's a... Uh... Is that yours? Is it... Have I given away the undisclosed location? <laughs> it's the Dead Sea Scrolls. Should, oh I just, should I just bleep it out? No, no, no. Do you know what? Give... Penenka's nice. Penenka's lovely. Penenka's a great shout. It's basically a punk bar in Friedrichshain. <laughs> I was giving nothing away. <laughs> it's, bas- it's basically a punk bar in Friedrichshain that shows football. Yep. It and, is, it's uh, wonderful. It's good going in there solo, actually, and just sitting at the bar with maybe some like old Dortmund fans or something like that, you know, and getting drunk. And slight caveat: I think it's a smoking bar. It is a smoky bar. It's a smoky punk bar that shows football. What did, what did we go and watch last season? Was it Leipzig, Augsburg in the Pokal when we were trying to watch Manchester United Wolves? Yeah, we couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that is the thing about Berlin bars is that if you're trying to watch a Premier League game and there's any German football on, good luck. How about this as a compromise? If anyone comes to Berlin and they want to know decent bars, instead of putting them on the podcast, because then the place gets crowded, drop me a line on Twitter, and I'll just write you an email and send you some recommendations. Oh, look at that, the gatekeeper. Well, just because, you know what it is, it's sometimes you can just like, if you put stuff... I'm are, you very, a bit, are you a bit worried about getting a tap on the shoulder when you're somewhere being like, sorry, are you miss Congo? <laughs> Actually, that happened to someone I went to a game with, you know, Ellie Mengham, who does the yeah, Copa. Yeah, yeah. I went to watch Wolfsburg against um, Hertha with him, the 3-0 that Wolfsburg got. Still the highest scoring game in the in the uh, league to date, but it's like to date. And he got recognised on the train by a load of drunk Aussies who were really going. They were going a bit able, but OTT. And the second they saw him, they calmed down. Oh, there you yeah. go. The power. It's amazing. Like Doctor Doolittle of football fans. Must say as well, Volksbar. I will say this: Volksbar near the Rosa Luxemburg um, Platz. They have started showing Champions League. Oh, cool! And it's actually a really nice venue to watch Champions League. And it's smoking upstairs. Really nice sort of old-fashioned seats. It's like your living room and downstairs on a big screen Champions League. So check them out. Cool. There we go. I've given one away. That's a really good one as well. That's one of my favourites. So kind of you. Eventually. So yeah, if you go in there on a on a, any midweek night and you see someone wearing oversized, in the corner. Wearing oversized corduroys. Talking about Man United's XG. Oh, goodness. Be <laughs> <laughs> this was a good one, I thought, from Ola. 
at Ola underscore Fizio. Ooh. Oh, yes. Ah, how's it going? Who are some Premier League players you'd love to see in other leagues but are unlikely to make a switch? Good question, this. Ooh. Sterling at Barcelona. Oh. <laughs> oh, come on. I had to. I had to. I had to. RIP your mentions. <laughs> oh, come on. I had to take it there. I'd love to see Raheem at Barcelona. I'd love that very much. Actually, there's quite a few Liverpool players I'd like to see at Barca, actually, frankly. Robertson for Alba at Barca. They could oh. do, yeah. Well, they could do with a guy like that there. They could do with a guy like that. I mean, everyone could do with Robertson. Who else would I like to see elsewhere? I would like to see Jamie Vardy at Leipzig. I actually think he'd fit in really well there. He would. He'd be a dead-eye goal scorer. He'd be brutal and Leipzig need that extra firepower to take them mm. I mean do you want to use that as a segue yeah why not to go on to Bundesliga sure thing oh the Bundesliga the Bundesliga so you know what it is the lead is like a bar of soap no one quite wants to grasp it or if they grasp it too hard it slips away Mönchengladbach got a 4-2 win over Eintracht which is in context perhaps their most impressive win so far this season yeah they're top they, they would do a win like that because yeah, they, hadn't they, really yet, they hadn't yet beaten someone you know good yet um, so good for them. Second best defensive record in the Bundesliga. Joint second best. That's impressive because I was looking at their record and thinking, you know what? I've mentioned Leipzig having the longevity, but I'm not sure Leipzig have the firepower and their defence isn't that good. They are on a poor run of form. They've no, already conceded 11, I think. One league win in five Leipzig. They've conceded 10 league goals. 10. And last year they conceded, I think, 20 or something. 20? Right, right. Lot, yeah. Right. So they've lost that defensive control, but they haven't really compensated with the attack. I mean, they lost at Freiburg on the weekend, 2-1. They've had one too many results like that, and I'm starting to wonder. They didn't recruit heavily in the summer. At the beginning of the season, they looked like they were going to be the ones to beat. Problems though? Squad depth. Yeah. This is a problem, because people also work out what you're about. And Nagelsmann's system is quite intensive. Right. And didn't have the players brought in, so this was always the concern. They scored 20 goals fewer than Dortmund and Bayern last year. So the question was, can he really galvanise the existing players to score and outperform? I don't know if he has those... Ch- I mean, as good as Nagelsmann is, there's only so much you can do with the squad at present. And he's got players performing above their capacity. I just think it's it might be too much of an ask. I agree. Uh, Bayern beat Union 2-1, their first league win since they won up against Paderborn. They ground that out. Paderborn really got a win as well. Paderborn. Your boys, your boys Paderborn. Hey, good for them. Are still rooted, but good it was their first league win. They deserve, they would do that. They, they play some season. great stuff. They play some great stuff. They beat Fortuna Dusseldorf 2-0 at home. Uh, Wolfsburg. Still unbeaten. Still unbeaten. Drew 0 with Augsburg. Right. Best defensive record in the Bundesliga. Not scoring a lot of goals though. Yes, I think the strength of the, se- the system is also the weakness yeah, I mean, they're still fourth. I mean, again, we do this little regular update of what the top half of the Bundesliga is separated by. It's five points. Right. It's five points down to 10th. So more than half of the Bundesliga is separated by five points. Schalke, Dortmund, nil-nil. Ah. There Dortmund, are some noises around Lucien Favre. They brought in those players in the summer. Hummels, Hazard, Brandt. Nico Schultz. But we haven't seen... Schultz has been injured a fair bit, so he's not Fair really enough. had a run in the team, probably. We haven't seen the game changing. We haven't seen the step up. We haven't seen the 20% leap in quality. We were perhaps, again, that word entitled, expecting to see, mm-hmm. given the players, given the quality of Brandt's previous season. We haven't seen the stars align as they should have been. Mm. Shout for Freiburg, though, up to third. 
Yep, got to rate them for that. That's a big result. Yeah. Um, they, But they feel like pacemakers, don't they? You know, these players who are like, the, sorry, these teams who are excelling the Bundesliga right now, there's a sense that they're setting the pace, but they're going to fall away. Mm. A lot of them. While we're still in Germany. Oh, yeah. I mean, Wolfsburg still motoring. Uh, Hoffenheim beat Sant. Other than Wolfsburg beat Essen 5-1 with a lot of injuries. That Alexander Pop is out. Eva Payor is out. But, I mean, Penel Harder coming through with the... They've just got such firepower. And Claudio Neto as well. Gunners Dottier. These people, I mean, these are players that will hurt you from every angle. They are really fixated on that Champions League this year. And you look at Leon, Arsenal, Wolfsburg. Um, Women's Super League, before we go into La Liga. Huge game, of course, Arsenal City. Uh, Miedema with the winner. And funny enough, because prior to the game, I'd seen this interview and she talks about like, you know, the fearlessness and, and the dead eye finish, really. She's a killer. Uh, Man City's first defeat of the season. Yeah, so Chelsea are top on 13 points. They beat West Ham 3-1 away, I think it was. Yes, Jisoo Young was again crucial in that game. They scored the goals late. Um, You're I think, of those, huh? Yeah, with 20 minutes to go, they came back into it. I think Sophie Engel scored, assisted by by G and then G just cracks one top corner with no backlift from about 30 yards out. The only undefeated side left in the Super League. And a shout for Drew Spence as well because a player with some of the quickest feet I've seen in a while um, scored the final goal. Oh, uh, quickly in Serie A, we haven't even mentioned this. Yeah. Um, both Inter and Juventus drew on the weekend. Hey, yeah, Inter had that last minute um, disallowed goal, didn't they? The VAR. Mm. Whilst Atlanta beat Udinese 7-1. Having got a goal down, I think. Yeah, so That's- they are... In third, just two points behind Inter, three points behind Juve. Atalanta going very, very strong. And Juve, got, actually, Atalanta, Juve dropped a point to Lecce, was it? Yeah, they drew it at Lecce. Atalanta play Inter next in the league. Seeing Lukaku's face after the game against Parma, he knew, he was like, these are points we will regret. Should maybe do a bit of Serie A next week. Yeah, let's get into We've it. We've not done too much yeah. recently. Uh, should we wrap it there? Yeah, why not? Doing this one a little bit late, so we've kind of skipped a lot of games because there will be other outlets who... We'll have run through those for you. They will absolutely have done so. We're playing out this week on ESG. My love for you. Check us on Twitter at Stadio, on Instagram at Stadio Football. I think that's it. Think I'm that's all it. over the place. Man. I need a nap. Listen, you should sleep less often. You're, you're concise when you're, uh, <laughs> when you're tired. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Let's right, play playing out on ESG. See you, bye. See ya.